Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Jen Cinco is an award-winning documentary filmmaker based in New York City, Her documentaries focus on socio-political themes with the intent of inspiring discussion and fomenting change. Cinco's 2016 documentary narrated by Matthew Modine, The Brainwashing of My Dad, tracks the disturbing rise of right-wing media. The film is told through the lens of her father whose politics and personality were radically transformed after he discovered talk radio. This widely acclaimed project has won numerous awards, has screened in festivals and theaters across the U.S., in Canada, England, Ireland, and Sweden. It most recently won the prestigious 2021 Webby People's Voice Award, Public Service and Activism. It's been adapted into a book by the same name, which will come out in early October of this year, 2021. And Carol, I understand that Jen won your grant for her film, The Brainwashing of My Dad. Yes, Claire, and Jen, we sincerely thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here, and thank you both for what you do. Oh, you're very welcome. We love it. And we want to congratulate you on winning the 2021 Webby People's Voice Award, Public Service and Activism. That must have been exciting. It was exciting. It's kind of funny because they um, emailed me and, as I said, oh, you should you should sign up for the Webby Award. And, I, I you know, you get so many emails, I didn't know how prestigious it was or how important so I ignored it for a while and they kept emailing me and I, and then I noticed that there was a, a charge to to join I said I can't afford to you know pay this and enter it and they forgave the fee for me and just said enter it so once I entered it and then I found out more about it and how um you know prestigious it was then then I started bugging all my friends to vote for me <laughs> <laughs> for a vote for the film, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was exciting, really exciting to win. Yes, because that is really respected. People love that award. Well, um, let's talk about your film. I loved your film. I got to watch it while you were making it, and uh, there's just so much information in there. But the creativity it abounds with creativity. The way you made and created it, it's exciting and full of information. So for those Thank you. who haven't... Yes, you're quite a good filmmaker. People who haven't heard of the documentary, so tell us what drove you to make the film and the book. Okay, well, um, in the late 80s and early 90s, 90s I noticed a, a dramatic change in my dad's personality. When After a lengthened commute to work, he found the pioneer right-wing radio host, Bob Grant, who was actually called the father of conservative radio. 
And my dad's personality change became even more pronounced as disturbing just a few years later when he retired and found Rush Limbaugh. Uh, he became addicted to Rush Limbaugh and would have three-hour lim- Limbaugh lunches and literally close himself off from everybody else. Um, he had formerly been a non-political, very open-minded, kind of hippie-esque Kennedy FDR Democrat, but after he found the talk radio, especially Rush Limbaugh, he became a, a fanatical, super angry Republican and not like the kind that I grew up with, but one who was just always angry and hyper-focused on trying to get the entire family to become Republicans because he now he then believed all Democrats and liberals were destroying America and the only true Americans were Republicans in his view. So, and then because of Limbaugh, he had actually fallen prey to all these political emails um, you know, and subscriptions, and they all trashed Democrats. Um, and then he got all this mail, like everything from Judicial Watch to right-wing Christian groups. And the main focus was always bashing Democrats and liberals, and he gave thousands of dollars to them yearly. Um, and so... Um, he anyway he also had a friend who shared his love of Rush Limbaugh and uh, they, one day his friend told him about Fox News so <laughs> then my dad ended up simultaneously watching Fox at lunchtime and listening to Rush Limbaugh but Limbaugh always came first so we turned Fox down when Limbaugh was on uh, it was hard to believe but he got even more fanatical and his anger and fanaticism was driving our dividing our family really um and so i wondered like who who is this man inhabiting my dad's body you know and, but then also also around it was yeah like the pod people also around the same time though i started noticing similar changes in a few friends or relatives whose their beliefs and personalities changed too when they were immersing themselves into the same kind of right-wing media world. And, um, you know, especially with the anger and the insistence on correcting and converting. You know, it was almost like a religion. So when I saw the same emails that he sent to the family while on my job at a law office, and I just wondered what the heck is going on here. I just had a very bad feeling about it all, um, it seemed to me like a stealthy campaign to get people to hate Democrats and change their ideology. So also around the same time, I noticed Republicans giving, well, this was a little earlier, giving Republicans, uh, Republicans giving President Clinton a really hard time for just about anything they could think of giving him a hard time for. And never before had I seen a, president treated so disrespectfully even nixon got more respect and then in 1998 um hillary clinton went on the today's show and spoke of a vast right-wing conspiracy which spoke to me as true it kind of clicked so i started thinking back then about doing a documentary to sort of both observe and bear witness to these 
incredible changes in my dad in both his personality and political beliefs, but then also to explore what was going on with this far-right media movement and the effect it had on other families, our political discourse, and our politics. So since I had already directed and produced two previous award-winning documentaries and I loved the medium, um, you know, I decided at some point I'm going to make this film. But but then there was the matter of raising money. <laughs> that so, you were working uh, full-time then? Yeah, I was working full-time and knew um, I, I couldn't do it when I wanted to, but in the meantime, I was doing a lot of research. You were. So you were t- getting committed to the film. Well, how did you right. get your funding? Tell us about that. Okay, so for the first film, my first film, I just saved up. I was good at saving money. Um, and then the second film that we, uh, I did, um, since it was about the luxurification of New York, um, my co-director, Fiori DeRose, and I found we could get a lot of food donated to us from these little mom-and-pop stores that felt threatened by the Bloomberg luxurification and they wanted to support us. So we would have fundraising parties for that film with the food and beverage donations we got. But this time I knew it would have to be different because it would be a full feature film and we'd need lots of archival footage and, and lots more work. So after that, after a time, I was doing freelance work um, and I saved $10,000 in order to get the film started. It was just, I just put that side ju- aside just for the film so I could buy the cameras, the mics, basic equipment, and get together a trailer. You have to have a, a compelling trailer to get people interested in funding the film. So I, then I got an editor and a small camera crew, all female, by the way, then shot a few key interviews for the trailer. Once the trailer was edited, I launched a Kickstarter campaign. Um, And in the meantime, I was also applying for grants. And sometime after the Kickstarter campaign, I got two grants, the Roy W. Dean, that was your grant, thank you very much, and the following year, um, a Bertha grant. Jody Evans, who is co-founder of Code Pink, had heard about the film um, through friends and then signed on as an executive producer and helped us get the Bertha grant. So beginning with the Kickstarter campaign, I knew I hit a a nerve when we raised more than triple what the set goal was. Also, people started coming out of the woodwork to tell me their similar sad stories. I became like the Ann Lander of this happened to my my dad (laughs) or my mom or whatever. Um, I still get them to today, and now they can put those stories on the website. So um, that that and and that's when um, I met Adam Rakoff and the fine actor, wonderful actor Matthew Modine, and they came on board as producers. Well, uh, first I want to mention about the the sad stories and the people coming out of the woodwork, and how you did Skype interviews with them and put them mm-hmm. all on one page. There had to be forty pictures. I don't know what the number was, but they were all yeah. talking and you had all this going on and uh we could uh, and it just took a few minutes to realize that this is like a plague going through the country. It, yes, I call I call it a plague. At first I called it a phenomenon, but now mm-hmm. it's at the point where it's definitely a plague. 
Yeah, it's crazy, <laughs> like a mass, yes. mass brainwashing. But you were way ahead of everybody else. I mean, during COVID, a lot of people used um, Zoom for interviews. Yeah. Maybe some used Skype, too. But you were doing that way ahead of them, and very successfully, the quality was good. So, uh, it, you, yeah, you it was all to save that. money. Yeah. <laughs> We did kind of, it was all out of like trying to save money. I'm like, oh my God, these people are from all over the country. We don't have enough in our budget to go all over the country. And I said, I wonder if Skype would work. And then and then my editor and I thought, well, if we label it Skype, you know, to set it apart from the rest so that people understand this isn't. You know, this isn't our camera crew. <laughs> this is a yes. Skype interview. And then, you know, we treated it differently um, in, in a graphic sense. So uh, it made sense. But, yeah, that it actually it worked. Had a camera behind me and aimed at the screen. <laughs> was wonderful. Well, let's talk yeah. about Matthew and how he found you and helped you and what his contribution was. So, um during the Kickstarter campaign, I asked my animator friend, Bill Plimpton, um, who at the same time is also running a Kickstarter campaign, if he might mention mine and then vice versa, I could mention his. And Adam, uh, who's Matthew's partner, was running Bill's campaign, uh, and they had both worked off and on with Bill. And they have this production company called the Cinco Dedos Policulus. But Matthew is an activist and helps out projects he believes in. And that's how I met Adam and Matthew. So Matthew was wonderful. He was there for guidance and advice and end up, ended up doing half of the narration, which I really think added a lot to the film because he could talk you know, sort of about the historical and, and you know, and then I was more talking about the emotional part of it. Um, he's just, he was wonderful. Yes, and he, uh, his voice was really an addition, a great creative addition to your film, I thought. He's yeah. good. Yeah, he was very good, yeah. And then Adam uh, Rakoff came on as a producer. How was that? Um, he, well, since he and Matthew were teamed up, they came as a package, <laughs> so to speak. Um, so Adam, um, I think Matthew saw the trailer and told Adam, hey, I'd like us to be involved in this project. You know, this is important. So Adam just helped us with countless things, as such as producers do, you know, social media, social media advice with connections, and then ultimately when the film was almost done uh, and in a work-in-progress stage, he got us into Michael Moore's Traverse City Film Festival. Um, one of Matthews and his films had, had played there previously, and they won an award for it, so they knew Michael. So after, and then when the film was finally done um, in 2016, Adam found us a distributor called Gravitas Ventures. That was so helpful. 
uh, to have him. And Gravitas got the film on, um, they're like an aggregator. So they got the film on the digital platforms, you know, like YouTube, YouTube, uh, iTunes, Amazon, et cetera. And then they, they also handled the DVD distribution. So we're very happy with them. Yes, that's great. And how what's happening with DVD? Has that slowed down? No. Um, I, I, what people do is they they go on my site uh, on the website, um, and they will give a donation or they order a DVD. So I tend to sell DVDs individually. Um, both the unofficial kind and the official kind. The unofficial kind is like eco-friendly, just in a paper um, paper thing. Um, but, um, you know, when we get a check from Gravitas, which we're starting to finally get, um, I, I, I forget to look at whether how much of it breaks down to the DVDs, but really certainly the... Um, the um, you know the digital means uh is is how people most people view it taken over <clears throat> yeah yeah well <clears throat> did you use social networking to contact and attach attach your audience that seems to be very important these days yeah well um <laughs> you helped a lot, uh i think um you know, reading Roy W. Dean materials, um, and then um, advice I got from certain people, I kind of like had already been using Facebook, and I joined Twitter. So I kind of, in preparation for the Kickstarter campaign, make sure mm-hmm. made sure that I that I had these already set up. Um, and um, then I also talked about it constantly. I'm sure I drove my friends crazy. <laughs> but you know what? It helps. <laughs> Word of mouth really helps. <laughs> it's killed the very best way of marketing. Word of mouth. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> well, and so how did you market the film once it was finished? Well, um, initially, Adam set us up with the bi-coastal theatrical screening. Um, you do that in order. You have to do that in order to qualify for the Oscars. But it's best to do that anyway, because then you get um, reviews and people to talk about it, and film has to run for at least a week in each place. So, and then he also found us a, a PR agent who, um, and then she lined me up with like a ton of interviews. Um, and Matthew had some interviews as well, and then we would attend some of the screenings. We also entered, you know, we were in many film festivals. Um, we had a Facebook uh, a page set up and a website already so we could post any awards that we won on all of the platforms. And Adam also would occasionally get uh, iTunes to run a 99-cent special like we're doing now to celebrate our Webby Award. Um, and... Um, and I, I'm on Twitter a lot, uh, also ga- and engaged with other media activists. And, um, you know, word word gets out, and still word of mouth is, like, uh, incredible. Except yes. the word of mouth is now helped by, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all that. Right. <clears throat> well, and what about this PR agent? Do you recommend hiring one? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it was 
she it, it I think it cost us about ten thousand uh, dollars, but um, it, you you have to have you have to set aside half of your budget for marketing, and I we would not have had the connections that she had. She was able to get us um, interviews with really high profile magazines like uh, Alternate, Truth Out, that kind of thing, um, and some TV you know interviews so yeah i highly recommend that for anybody to hire a pr agent yeah makes a lot of sense to me yes and it's and when you start out it's just another line item right but you really need it yeah well yeah they have the connections yes so what is an update how's the film doing now I say, unfortunately, (laughs) the film is uh, more relevant than ever, Um, but I do feel people are finally getting the message, understanding how powerful and harmful the far-right media is, and the amount of people who who watch it keeps growing and growing. So we um, were actually starting to get some checks and be able to pay ourselves back for creating the film. So it's doing really, really well. Oh, my gosh, that's such uh, good news. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess then that's how, you know, I got the the book deal because the film was, they heard about the film, so. Oh, that's good. <clears throat> well, mm-hmm. before we go to the book, I want to learn more about mm-hmm. um your film, because it covered the Powell Memo of 1971, and this is the second film. There was a film called Heist, and they talked about the Powell right. Memo, how that laid the groundwork for the demise of our unions, and so many changes were made where the the people power disappeared and corporate power took over. Right, right. So tell well, us yeah, what I have, that's all about. And I have to give a shout-out to Heist, because it was a, an independent film. <clears throat> Pardon me. I saw it, and I'm like, holy smokes. This Powell memo is really significant. Why isn't everybody talking about this? This is it. So basically, in and their whole movie was about the Powell memo. Um, right. But it, I, I saw it had to be like part of the the quilt of of my film, you know, telling all of the story to how we got where we were going. So in 1971, Lewis Powell, he was a corporate lawyer at the time, and he was commissioned by the Chamber of Commerce to come up with like a master strategy for big corporations and billionaires to save the free market system. The true elite. <laughs> we're nervous about all the social changes going on at the time, you know, like women's lib, civil rights, the anti-war movement, and the push for consumer protections, too, by Ralph Nader. They felt this was going to hurt their businesses. So he basically laid out a way for the vast right-wing conspiracy. Um, and the memo talked about how to get free market professors on college campuses how they could capture and influence the judiciary, um, how to buy up media. Um, It also talked about the creation of think tanks, and Mm -hmm. they 
boomed. They just, after they talked about them, they just started reproducing, like, rabbits um, and, um, you know, how they could be funded by these big corporations and and these billionaires. And they were created, they they were built to create a positive attitude towards the trickle-down, free market ideology and privatization just among everyday, regular Americans, because that wasn't our system. Um, and it was obviously very successful. And by the way, I give a lot of credit to Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, who's been talking about the Powell memo a lot lately, and that makes me very happy. Yes. <clears throat> yes, that, that was shocking to me. Uh, you know, he entered and won our grant, uh, the gentleman who made that, and um, I was so oh. shocked when I read his outline that I called him to oh. say, "This is, I think this is one of the most important uh, films being made." And, Donald uh, and Schumacher. You know, yes, Schumacher. And uh, yeah, well, we just emailed each other and Francis so, Causey. Yes, well, love Francis, them. <laughs> I'm still working with. She is a dynamite. Oh. She is nonstop producer. Oh. Wonderful. But oh, totally. Donald um, applied for all kinds of grants. Nobody wanted his film. And then after oh. he got it finished, he told me, he said, they, some of the grant, grantors came back to him and said, oh, what can we do to help you? He said, where oh. were you when I needed oh, you? Oh, my God. Said, you know, because so you gave them a grant? Yes. You gave them a Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, my God. That's <laughs> wonderful. Carol, you have such foresight. Wow. Well, it really rang a bell. It was honest and truthful, and and you knew when you read the Powell memo, when you learned about it, uh, mm-hmm. that this was uh, the cause of the major shift. And one of the things of interest he did was he hired a comedy writer, that a TV comedy writer, to help lighten the content of the film because it was so heavy and shocking that he had to lighten it up so you know he would give you something heavy and then you would have time to breathe and relax and there would be light information and then he'd go back and tell you now this happened and you were like oh no you know it's so interesting that that you say that because um in in our film the brainwashing of my dad We had a story consultant, um, Fiore De Rosa, the person who I worked with on um, The Vanishing City about the luxurification of New York. Uh, he's, a, he's a really great writer, but he is so aware that you have to have humor. So he poured over the f- film, you know, when we were, you know, like in the end stages and like, Jen, you went 20 minutes here with no humor. You know, you're going to lose them. I'm serious. He was like a the Gestapo, <laughs> but it, it was it was the best thing. It really helped the film because all of this stuff is so um, frightening and serious. And the Lewis Powell memo was just one of many things along the way. Well, yes, you mentioned the fairness doctrine. So tell us how that contributed to the brainwashing. Okay, so we can thank Reagan for that. Um, He was actually, uh, when I was doing um, research for my book, I found out that he was, like, 
working hand-in-hand with the Heritage Foundation, which was one of the first, quote-unquote, conservative think tanks that came out of the Powell memo. Okay, so he uh, vetoed the codification of it or the attempt to codify it by, by Congress. And in the Fairness Doctrine, broadcasters were required to cover matters of controversy and have varying opinions by including different voices. And another interesting thing, FDR came up with this back in 1949 when he saw how Nazi radio, by, by Goebbels, by the way, was influencing Germany and the power it had. So it was to protect the public from that kind of manipulation. It, and it granted licenses only when the licenses went to broadcasters that would serve the public interest. So um, one year, I'd say one of the biggest contributions <laughs> to, to brainwashing, uh, the demise of the Fairness Doctrine, is one year after Reagan vetoed it, Rush Limbaugh burst on the scene and went national. And, and that was that. That was the beginning of a massive brainwashing of the population. As he, he gained millions and millions of followers with his anger addiction formula. He believed making his viewers angry would keep them coming back for more and would be more convinced he was telling the truth if he was angry. So there you have it. Right. I think that was the biggest thing the Fairness Doctrine did. It, was, it helped create Rush Limbaugh. Oh, my gosh. That's an amazing mm. fact. Bad news. Well, mm-hmm. well, so now uh, tell us why you decided to write the book. Well, um, a few years ago, um, I, I started writing the book because at the time, at the time, the movie was not getting the attention that I felt it needed to get. Uh, but it seemed to me, you know, I'd watch like MSNBC or um, listen to NPR, and it just seemed to me that authors got more attention in media than documentary filmmakers. I don't know if it's true, but that was my feeling and belief. And it was frustrating to me that more people weren't hearing the, the, the you know, what I felt was an urgent message of the film regarding right-wing media phenomenon or plague and the hate and division that it was sowing in our country. So I hoped a book would bring more attention to people. But also, writing a book gave me an opportunity to go into more detail than I was able to go into the movie, of course. Uh, My editor uh, of the film, Kala Mandrake, told me in the early stages of editing the doc she said, just include everything you wanted to talk about and then whittle it down. And that was a good idea because then you have to determine which things you can't live without, which things you really have to get. You know, a movie can't be three hours. But in a book, you can give all the nuance and all the detail. So um, in the book, I do give more history going all the way back to FDR and the Great Depression um, because it's where the economic royalists, which is what he called them, their resentment uh, began. Uh, mm-hmm. F- FDR coined that term, uh, economic royalists. Uh, they're basically an advocate of a system in which social privilege and political authority derive from wealth. Okay, so I also cover the propaganda techniques of Goebbels, which are a mirror of the far right's uh, methods. Um, I go through the 50s and how the Brown versus Board of Education got 
the economist James McKill Buchanan, who Nancy McLean uh, talks about in her book, Democracy and Change, uh, got him all fired up, um, like that they're paying taxes for all these people, including brown people, to go to school. And so the Kochs heard about him, and then they paired up. And so um, there was an alliance there that blossomed eventually into the Birch uh, Society. Um, and then I also mentioned a, a political, another political uh, force, um, a great force alliance between religious fundamentalists and oligarchs, um, um, uh, which is called the Council for National Policy. And and Nelson's book, The Shadow Network, um, you can find out about that there. She, that's it, like a whole nother, like it just as powerful in a way as the Lewis Powell memo and just as wow. well known. So, yeah. And, um, of course, as in the movie, I talk about the Southern strategy, the Powell memo, Roger Ailes, uh, Reagan, Nixon, the Fairness Doctrine, making Rupert Murdoch a citizen. Um, thanks, Reagan, Mr. Reagan. Um, the Telecommunications <laughs> Act, and then I go through all the psychological tactics the right use, uses, and then give some tips on what we can do. That's how it ends. Plus, I have more personal stories in there. That um, kind of that's like reading really them, like, good. Yeah. Oh my God, I I reread them. And they just, they blew my mind. They, like, you know, make you want to cry. They're so sad. Oh, my goodness. Well, yes, we need to hear them because one personal story can mean so much more to us than than paragraphs do. We like to hear what is happening to people. Well, I'm so excited about your new book. And what, what is the release date and where can people find it? Um, the release date is October 5th, and uh-huh. you can pre-order it from your favorite bookstore, which you can find by going to um, indiebound.org slash book. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you put in your area, and you see a list of bookstores near you, and you can pick out your favorite one. Um, or, you know, then there's the big bookstores like Barnes & Noble, which you can already get it from. Um but yeah, so and Amazon <clears throat> will it be on Amazon? Order it. Amazon as well. Yeah. Okay. Good. Mm-hmm. So yeah. do you think the book will help make bring the film back to life and and bring it out so more people watch it? You know, I think I think it may. I think it may do that. Um, and then I think the film will bring. You know, it'll be a cycle, like it, it will bring more attention to the film, and then the f- people talk about the film, and the film will bring more attention to the book. And my joy is that the message will be able to reach more people and maybe people who can do something about it. Yes, that's right, particularly since yeah. you have a what you can do at the closing of the book. That's very important. Yeah. Well, yeah, tell I us so. uh, what you think your film has done to date to help people to be aware of, brand, of the brainwashing situation. Have you gotten any <clears throat> feedback that would let you know that there is some traction? Yeah. I mean, I, I did have um, interesting. I had um, Stephen Hassan reach out to me. Um, uh, 
Bandy Lee, you know, these different, um, like Stephen Hassan wrote The Cult of Trump. Um, so I, I know very well that the film has also comforted many people who thought they were alone and experiencing the loss of loved ones to Fox News or the now deceased Rush Limbaugh or other far-right media. <clears throat> I also know, like I was saying, that it influenced psychologists, psychiatrists, and other activists. So they would write me and we would collaborate on possible actions. Um, uh, and I have a friend, <clears throat> Mark Histed, that I, I solely met through Twitter. He was a follower and then I started following him. And we trade ideas. We're like a little activist group. It's called Speak Up. And he's right now doing something very important. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's working with some others on writing leg legislation for using public news vouchers to like fix n local news. Uh, this was born from an idea that Bob McChesney and Jeff Cohen, both media activists and authors, proposed a few years ago um, <clears throat> about taking like $200 off your taxes to go to any independent media of your choice. So Mark's putting together the policy details of such a program um, and should have something in the, in the next six to eight weeks. So what, what happened, how that happened is um, when, people, when people were running for a re-election, I would write them and say, why don't you have um, media, um, the problem with media as um, one of your um, the things that you want to work on. You know, you have climate change, you have poverty, um, you have women's rights and this and that, but media should be up there. <clears throat> and Mark pointed out to me that they actually need that legislation written already before they can even put that. So it's a, this is how it's a really useful thing for him to do. Um, and then... Um, also, um, I, well, I just minute. like to mention. Pardon me. It's a. Uh, let me just go back now. You sure. say that you could uh, if, that uh, he proposed taking two hundred dollars off your taxes to go to any independent media. So what does that mean? Go to a, a media conference or what? No, like um, say you support. Um, uh, reader-supported news, which relies totally on funding, right? You could take right. off $200 off of your taxes. Um, and this was the idea that Bob McChesney and Jeff Cohen proposed. Um, <clears throat> Mark's idea, it's, um, it's, it's, it's more about writing legislations for using public news vouchers. And I can't tell you exactly how that will work because he's going to be sending me the details in six to eight weeks. But it's something similar to that. <clears throat> okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted you. You were going to mention that right now another group, something is going on after seeing the thing. Right. Well, <clears throat> little things happen all the time that let me know that <clears throat> the film has influenced people. You know, I've been on over the summer and during COVID, I was on many podcasts and, and Zoom meetings and showing the film. But 
just recently um, a postcard writing group. They're usually um, for you know vote to get people out, to get out the vote. After seeing the film, they put together a postcard writing campaign, um, and I'd love to ask your audience to please join us. <clears throat> okay, um, how does that work? It, it, it's just you, you get two postcards. And you write something in your own language to General Milley and Secretary Lloyd Austin, asking them to please remove Fox from airing on military bases. Um, <clears throat> she's also having her group ask General Milley and Secretary Austin to please watch <laughs> the brainwashing of my dad, which is nice. I think, I mean, that's how much they believe it could it could educate them. But um, so anyway, we plan to send all of these postcards out on the same day on July 26. And um, if I may say, people can get the addresses for Millie and Austin either by Googling or by going on the Brainwashing of My Dad Facebook page or following me on Twitter at Brainwashing Dad, where I will be continually announcing it until the 26th. So, okay. Um, well, yeah. all right, let's get this really mm -hmm. clear. Uh, General okay. Milley, M-I-L-L-E-Y, and right. uh, Secretary Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N. Right. right, Lloyd Austin. Okay, and your Facebook page is, says is the brainwashing of my dad, right? Movie, yeah, the brainwashing movie. of my dad movie, yeah. Good, all right. Yep. Those are good things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You think did the film do what you wanted it to do? Are you still thinking there's more to do with the film? Well, there's definitely more to do. I think the more people that see it, you know, people still blow me away by saying, "Oh my god, I just saw your film. I had no idea that this was sort of, you know, the right-wing media how orchestrated it was and all that." But initially, I had I had really high hopes. Uh, you know, I wanted it to save the world. But <laughs> uh, seriously, I, I was hoping it would create like a movement against this far-right media and then people would keep pressuring our officials to uh, do something about this hate media and divisive media and anti-democratic media. And... Um, you know, get everyone to understand how we we're, we're being divided, and we're not enemies of each other. You know, um, it's the billionaires and big corporations that are, you know, doing this to us, dividing us for themselves and their own self-interest. And you know, it also teaches them that you know Trump didn't come out of nowhere. You know, he was a product of years and years of drumming up this hatred towards you know, Democrats, liberals, minorities, gays, women. <clears throat> to create an enemy is something that Goebbels really pushed, not to get off on another topic. But so, yeah, it didn't do everything I wanted it to do. I really hoped it would burst on the scene, but very slow. I guess things move slower, you know, <laughs> in reality. Well, and it's, I think it's starting to do, or it's been doing lately what I hoped it would do when it first was released. So that's a good thing. 
yes, you are changing belief systems, and yes, that does take time. First, you have to shock us with the information, and then you have to yeah. come back and do it again and again and tell me, <laughs> go, whoa, wait a minute, is this true? Right. I mean, it's a shock. So right. um, I understand yeah. that, but I, I noticed that your publisher, you got a very good publisher. You signed with the largest woman-owned book publisher. How did you do that? That's a coup. Oh my gosh, I know. It It. It was, uh, it just, it, it was an interesting thing. Okay, so I had been working on the book by myself for about a year and a half. And then one day while I was on vacation, I got an email that I chose not to ignore because of the subject line. Most of the time I ignore all social media while I'm on vacation. Nothing. <laughs> but the subject was, have you considered a book? And mm-hmm. the email was from Sourcebooks, who, or my now publisher, asking if I would be interested in discussing a secondary medium to reach people. I was flabbergasted and I responded basically funny you should ask <laughs> and then told them about how I'd been working on a book already for about a year and a half and I had also started working on a proposal and then after that things um sped up, you know. Uh, my friend writer friend Jocelyn Linder told me I, I needed to have a proposal if I wanted to pitch it to an agent and a publisher. So um that's how it happened. That's how I got them, and it was it was serendipitous, I guess you could say. <laughs> right. Well, I would say the universe mm-hmm. is certainly pushing you forward with this uh, whole uh, movement. I, right. I, I, it seems so, and I hope so. <laughs> well, what mm-hmm. what are you working on right now? Tell us that. Um, well, I, I am working on the postcard campaign right now um, to get Fox off all the military bases, um, and um, I'm just I just continue I'm going to continue with my activism, um, taking care of my 100 year old mother, you know, the star oh, of the film. Sweet. Yeah, and promoting the book and. Um, that keeps my hands full. <laughs> but then things come up too, you know, like somebody will say, you know, we want to see your film. Will you, will you, you know, will you come on? Will you show it? Will you be a guest? And so I, I'll, I'll be doing stuff like that continually as well. Good, good. Well, this has mm-hmm. been so enlightening. Thank you very much for the information you've given us. We really appreciate you, and we look forward to reading your new book. So tell me again where we can find the book. Um, you go to IndieBound.org slash book to order from your favorite bookstore. Um, <clears throat> also, if the audience thinks they'd like to help me promote my book, and if you belong to Goodreads, I just found out about Goodreads because I didn't know anything about book publishing, it's a site to see what your friends are reading. You can find my book and mark it as want to read. And that kind wow. of helps. That will kind of help me. So, oh, good. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Would be I've great. never heard of that. Good read. I had neither. All one word. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
That sounds great. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to get to speak to you and learn how you are. And I'm so proud to be a tiny part of this film. It's just mm-hmm. a great, great film. It's historical. It'll be there for a long time, Jen. And I thank you for helping me and, you know, just promoting me and believing in me. So that really helped at a time when I really needed it. So thank you, you, Carol. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) And, Claire, thank you so much for hosting the show. Sure. Very happy to. And uh, we'll be watching the book and looking forward to hearing from you uh, at a later date how things are going. Thank you okay, so that, much. That sounds great. Thank you. All right. All right. Take care, Thank Jen. you, Jen. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Bye. Thank be you. well, everyone. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.